0: Hi, my name is Chris Rogers. Thank you so much for giving me a bit of your time to export a very difficult uh, topic today. My name is Chris Rogers. I'm the vicar of All Hallows Bow here in East London. I've been here 10 years. My wife and I both ordained, planted a church in 2010 to a neighbourhood that is 65% Bengali. So, assalamu alaikum. We do tons of mission to the Bengali and the the Muslim community. We love our community. It's one of the poorest in uh, East London, but yet we see God at work in this place. I also uh, lead a ministry called Making Disciples. I run a podcast that goes out every Monday, so if you appreciate uh, this teaching uh, today, then you might enjoy the podcast which goes out every Monday. It's called Making Disciples with, with Chris Rogers. Now let's jump straight in because I've got 25 minutes and we are going to have to move fast. The topic today is God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament. I'm just going to pray as we kick off because we really want to grapple with this idea today. Is God different in the New Testament to the Old Testament? Is there something uh, where God's character changed uh, between Malachi and Matthew? Uh, did God suddenly go on an anger management course and then when he appeared as Jesus, uh, he was high on something and therefore he was much kinder and nicer? Or, or is it that we're missing something uh, within the character of God? And that's what we're going to explore today. So I hope you find this uh, inspiring, helpful, challenging, encouraging and all of that. So here we go. Uh, let me pray first as we kick off. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that uh, we can uh, look at your nature, your character, uh, particularly through the Trinity, uh, Creator God, Savior God in Jesus Christ, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We see something of your nature and your character. But Lord, sometimes we are confused. Uh, we, we see things, we don't understand how that all hangs together. God, we pray, by your Holy Spirit, would you give us revelation, uh, give us change and encouragement? Would we wrestle with this? Uh, topic. And Father, would we know something more about you and your son Jesus uh, through all of this today? Uh, Lord, would we be uh, encouraged by what we find? And we pray that in the name of the risen son Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So here we go. God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament. i want to ask you this question as we start. You get to choose today. Which God do you want to follow? The God of the Old Testament or the God of the New Testament? Which do you prefer? If you had to pick one or the other, which would it be for you? Would you pick the wrathful creator God who demands justice? Or would you pick Jesus, the God of the New Testament, uh, kind, compassionate, merciful? Uh, like, Which would you pick between the two? Like, We Many of us would say, I'm more of a New Testament Christian than I'm an Old Testament Christian. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not really keen on all that wrath stuff. Hey, you cannot pick one or the other. We are talking about the same person, the person of God revealed to us through the Old Testament, revealed through the New Testament in the life of the work of the Trinity. One God, Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. You cannot separate out God. The danger is we read scripture on a very surface level reading, Uh, We pick things out of context and then we make decisions on what we think about God's character in light of that one event totally taken out of context. A number of years ago, I was in a meeting with somebody and that meeting was a great meeting. Uh, Actually, that meeting had a lot of laughter in it. It was a challenging meeting, but there was a lot of laughter and joy in that meeting. The individual left the meeting and walked out. Somebody that was on the outside Listening in on that very meeting and conversation, they read those events very differently. They thought I was shouting at this individual, they thought I was telling this individual off. They heard the laughter as shouting. And when the person left, they were obviously engaged with something in their mind. And the person looked at the way they left and thought, Gosh, Chris has obviously really upset them. I didn't upset them. They didn't feel upset the way that they left. But this person read those events differently because they could only see a snapshot of actually what was going on. So what does the Bible actually tell us up front about the nature and character of God? Like we're told that God is the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, He's the, the beginning of the alphabet and he's the end of the alphabet. He's like the bookends of the created order. We're told that he's the same yesterday, today and forever. We're told that God is the lion and the lamb. The lion, strong. Uh, you know, the, the lion that you see in, in nature is powerful. He's the king. Whilst at the same time, we're told he's the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, the merciful lamb. God is both the lion and the lamb. Mm-hmm. How do those two things go together? We're told that God is the God of judgment and he's the God of grace is the one who changes sin but yet is the one that completes sin. Uh Malachi 3:6 says this, I the Lord do not change. So we have a God who is the beginning and the end, the, he's the yesterday, today and forever he's the same in power as well as in compassion. He's the God of law, he's the God of grace. He doesn't change. He's the same throughout. And that's what the Bible tells us of God and what God says about himself. But is that true? Is, is God actually not just that, but actually he's quite schizophrenic? One, minute, one thing, one thing, the other. Well, let's look at Jesus for a moment because we often see Jesus as the loving, compassionate, merciful version of God. is God 2.0. God got an upgrade. And now he's loving and kind. But yet, Jesus um, is the same as what we find in the Old Testament. He is the same God. We often think that Jesus is less angry, but actually, if you look, Jesus goes into the temple, he clears out the temple, he's angry in that moment. And we would often say, yeah, but of course, that's a righteous anger. Yes! The same righteous anger that Jesus has in the New Testament is the same righteous anger in the Old. The same way that Jesus wants the temple in Jerusalem to be holy, God is wanting us to be holy in the Old Testament. It's the same. The thing is, Jesus in the New Testament is the solution to the anger of which we see God in the Old Testament. It's unhelpful Old Testament, New Testament in in, in many times because what he does is he pits God off as beginning the the, the version one of God and version two of God because of the break in the middle. Actually for you to remove New and Old Testament and see the wholeness of God, we actually see a story of God revealing uh, truth and then Jesus being the completion of that truth. Um, it's not always helpful saying um, God of the Old Testament and Jesus. Like, Jesus throughout Scripture, the God throughout Scripture. Uh, The God that reveals the problem is the God that brings the solution to that problem. But this is a good one to start with. Let's say this. uh, Is God schizophrenic? Is there two natures to God? The way I want to explore this really is the biggest problem that we have, I guess, with God is found in the Old Testament. So I really want to hammer into... Old Testament. So if you're looking for a light, fluffy talk, this isn't going to be it because we're going to wrestle with some of the Old Testament. The issue with the Old Testament is we need to pay greater attention to it. God in the Old Testament is less wrathful than we think in the same way that Jesus is more direct and stern and challenging than what we remember. We need to pay attention. God in the Old Testament communicates quite clearly what is right, what is wrong. He communicates what holiness and righteousness is. And in that he communicates what the conclusion of that and the consequences of that are. He communicates uh, what the problem is, but the God of the Old Testament also communicates his grace and his mercy in it. One of the issues, I guess, with the Old Testament is we see God doing these things that anger us. When we see God raining down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah, when we see God flooding the world, we go, God, that's bad behaviour, God. Like, why would you do that? And what we're not doing in that moment is realising that God's uh, anger is because of the behaviour of mankind. We, we actually need to turn our attention to, well, what is it? humankind are doing that are causing God to respond in in such a way what is the behavior you look at the book of Hosea if you've never read the book of Hosea read the book of Hosea God's people in that book are seen as an adulterous wife who's selling herself to all these other men these other gods and God's response to that is anger And we go, wow, God gets angry. We're not quite sure about your anger, God. Hang on, you and I, are like adulterous wives. We say we adore God, but yet at the same time, we're giving our hearts to all these other idols. And then we wonder why God would be angry with us. We need to understand first, our behaviour, it is our behaviour that is sinful, broken, and wrong. God is a lover that wants his people and his people are adulterous. That's what the book of Ossia is about. See, it's easier to point the finger at God and say, ooh, you're behaving badly, without at the same time seeing how appalling the people of God are behaving towards God. We like to point out his problems without pointing out our own problems. We're a mess We're a mess, and God is responding to that mess. So I want to really focus on the Old Testament here, and I want to ask this question, is God really different in the Old Testament to the New? So what is God like in the Old Testament? Does the God of the Old Testament match up to the God we find in the New Testament? So number one, i would say this, number one, God cares about justice and mercy in the Old Testament. Time after time we see that God is a merciful God who cares about mercy and justice. One of my favorite verses in scripture is Micah 6:8. This is what God has shown you, O people. What is it that the Lord requires of you? To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. God is a God of justice and mercy, and He wants us to be like Him in the way that we are filled full of justice, mercy, and humility. God is a God of justice and a God of mercy. Number one. Number two, God is, in the Old Testament, abounding in love. Let me read this. This is Exodus 34, verse 6. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Let's not miss the love and mercy and faithfulness of God of the Old Testament. God is merciful and loving to his people, even though they behave like a prostitute, even though they have these affairs with these idols and these other gods. God is abounding in love. He's overflowing with love, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. So we look at the Old Testament and say God is a wrathful God. He's an angry God. But let's just look at that anger. That anger is slow to respond. It's slow to build up. It's not that God suddenly like pops and the next thing we go, wow, you know, what's, where's this anger come from? Well, gosh, he just seems to have an anger management issue here. No, God's anger is slow. It's it's uh, slow and it's slow to respond. God does not respond in the way the sin of humankind is. Uh, needs really for for that judgment he responds slowly so full of justice and mercy is abounding in love slow to anger number three god sees the reality of sin the nature of god is seeing the reality so let me read this to you this is numbers 14 18 god is slow to anger abounding in love and forgiving of sin and rebellion Similar to the Exodus 34, it starts. Then he says this, yet, that is all true. He's he's, he's loving, he's kind, he's merciful, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in love. All of that's true. Yet, God does not leave the guilty unpunished. God can't turn a blind eye from sinfulness. Bad behaviour needs calling out. God is love. He's merciful. He's caring. He he wants to be our lover. Yet we prostitute ourselves to the other idols, and yet in that God has to call out the broken and sinfulness. He says here, He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Here we see God's grace and judgment. God has to judge the sin. But yet he is slow and to um, respond because of his love and his mercy. Let me read this. This is Ezra uh, 8.22. The gracious hand of our God is on anyone who looks to him. That is the character of God. He is graceful and gracious. This is Old Testament here, guys. The gracious hand of God is on anyone who looks to him. But... His great anger, in fact, the word there in the Hebrew for anger is his nose. Uh, His great nose is against all who forsake him. So God's anger is not against humanity, it's not against all people. God's anger is against those who um, are sinful uh, towards him. Uh, His anger against those that oppose God, who stand against God. Look, remember. If we don't say yes to God, yes to Jesus, we're actually saying yes to everything else. If we don't worship the right thing, we'll worship anything. And that anger for justice is the consequences of sin. It's the consequences. So, God is loving, he's merciful, he's compassionate. Uh, So therefore, is God a hypocrite? I'll answer this question. Is God a hypocrite? God says, do not murder. The Ten Commandments list what it means to be the people of God. Do not murder. Whilst at the same time in the Old Testament, God seems to order the killing of the innocent. So let's just explore this uh, for a moment. If this is all true, that God is merciful, loving, compassionate and caring, slow to anger, bounding with love, yet seeks justice. Is God a hypocrite because God says, do not murder. And then he goes and orders it to be done. So... I want to explore an example for us where we very often look at God and go, God, I don't get what you're doing here. You are being a wrathful God. This doesn't add up to Jesus in the Old Testament. So let's look at an example of, of, of that kind of behaviour. So we're going to look at 1 Samuel 15. And you are got to read the, the whole story. So we're only kind of dipping in here because of time. But in 1 Samuel 15, 3, it says this. God says to his people. Now go. I want you to attack the uh, Amalekites and I want you to totally destroy them and I want you to destroy their belongings to them. Do not spare them. Put to death the men, the women, the children, the infants, the cattle, the sheep, the camels and the donkeys. I want you, God says to his people, to not murder. Whilst then here he's saying, I want you to go and totally destroy them, their homes, uh, their clothing. Uh, their tools, destroy it. Wipe them out. Go hard on the men. Go hard on the women, the elderly, the children. Don't even let their cattle exist at the end of this. Whoa, hang on. So this is the wrathful God that we're talking about. This is where God looks odd in the Old Testament. Go and do this. I love it then. So that's 15.3. That's, um, now let me just read, this is 1 Samuel 15.6. Then Saul, who was the king, goes to the Canaanites. Uh, and he says this Go away, leave the uh, Amalekites uh, so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you have shown kindness to all the Israelites uh, when they came out of Egypt. So the uh, Kenites moved away from the uh, Amalekites. You see, I'm struggling with some of these names. We all do that, We, but we live by grace, not by law. Uh, I'm butchering the names, but you get what's going on. So God says, I want you to go and kill this group of people. Wipe them out. And then Saul, knowing the righteousness of God, goes in first and says, right, well, let's just clear out the righteous people. So he says to the righteous people, get out of the way. Like, we're coming to do God's judgment on this people. Remove the righteous. And we see this time after time when God orders that a people be killed. God also removes the righteous people first. You know, when God uh, rains down punishment on Sodom and Gomorrah, first, um, we're told that God has gone in and he's removed. Uh, There is no righteous people in that place. Uh, There's no one left who is good. They've been removed. So Saul says to them, get out remove yourself before we destroy this place so they do so Saul sends a warning to the righteous people to move away to separate themselves from the wicked so God's judgment to go is to clear out the wicked people not just all people so God's judgment is on the wicked not on the righteous okay remember that so how can God kill innocent babies? Like we read that story and go, okay, I see why the men might need to be killed. I can see why the women need to be killed. But why are the babies being killed? Like there's nothing, like they've done nothing wrong, yeah, have they? So let's just explore this. Exodus 17, 16. Same story, different angle. And he says this. Because hands uh, were lifted against the throne of God. The Lord will be at war against the Malachites from generation to generation. So here you have a group of people that from generation to generation to generation, they've stood against God. They've worshipped other gods. In fact, they've worshipped gods that offer child sacrifices. This group of people were despicable. Sex was used for worship. Children were offered as part of a child sacrifice. Uh, And they'd attacked and killed God's people in the past. And God says, look, I'm going to be against this group because they are evil people. And we're told that God is going to be against them from generation to generation. You see, you see, what is happening here is this idea. God knew the evil that was coming in future generations from that group of people. And he's stopping them before that sin even happens. See, we have this question don't we you know when the plane flew into the twin towers why did god not stop it back there why did he allow it to happen well in this instance god is stopping it back there before it's allowed to happen but from our point of view we're going well god it looks like you're behaving quite badly you're you're killing the innocent back here i think we have to understand that you can't be both ways you can't say why is god not doing the here why is God not stopping this from happening? And then when he does stop it from happening, say, well, why has God done that? He's killed the innocent. We have to trust that God knows bigger. He knows more of what is going on. God knew and he's stopping sin from happening. He's making sure his plans are worked out. So what do we do with the flood? What do we do with uh, Babylon and the confusing of language? What do we do with Sodom and Gomorrah? These are difficult questions. What are we going to do with them? Uh, to answer that question, what do we do with those difficult passages? We have to answer this question. What is God's motives in the killing? Like, What is God's motives? To understand um, um, why uh, something might happen, we need to know what's going on in, in God's heart. Is he doing it because he's malicious and they're angry? Like, why is he doing this? So Ezekiel thirty-three eleven. Let me just read this to you. Say to them. As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn their wicked ways from me. What is God's motive? God's motive is, I want to love you and I want you to love me. But in your wickedness, justice has to be performed. Repent, turn back to me and that's it. We're done. But I can't have you behaving in this way. I can't have you behaving with child sacrifice a prostitution a murdering of my people. I'm going to have to do something about this. Surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in death. What is God's motives? It's not pleasure. It's not delight. He doesn't enjoy it. It's something that he realises has to be done because sin is not acceptable. So what's the point? In God, action, through God's actions, he's revealing to us what we need to see at that point. The people of God needed directing and disciplining away from sin. And God in the Old Testament is revealing the problem. The problem is humanity Uh, We are sinful and uh, we are prostituting ourselves to all these other gods and we're doing despicable things. And God is saying, this is a problem, this is a problem, this is a problem. He keeps saying it's a problem. We need to understand the problem to understand the solution of grace. So you could say the first half of the Bible, God's revealing the problem. The second half of the Bible, God is revealing the solution. That's what's going on here. He's revealing the solution. We need to see in the Old Testament how the people of God are a mess and there are consequences to sin so that we can understand then what we need to understand about Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. It's not that Jesus now is the graceful version of the God of the Old Testament. It's that God is taking the punishment of the wrath upon himself. The wrath that we see in the Old Testament is now placed upon himself. We need the Old Testament to understand the New Testament. God in the Old Testament reveals the problem. God in the New Testament reveals the solution. And that's what's going on. We don't have two different gods. God is the same yesterday, today and forever. He is the same. He's the Alpha and the Meager. He doesn't change. It's just what has been revealed to us is important at that time god needs to reveal the problem so that later on he can reveal to us the solution so i love rabbi heskel He's one of my uh, favorite writers obviously he's not a christian he's a, he's a rabbi he's jewish but this is what he says about the old testament the prophets never portray god's anger as something that cannot be accounted for and is irrational it is never a spontaneous outburst but a reaction occurred by the uh, conduct of humans. It's the motivation um, coming out of God's concern for right and wrong. If you read a line in the Old Testament out of context, you can read anything into it. If you want to understand God's behaviour and God's action, what looks like anger, you've got to understand the bigger story of what is going on and what is God doing to each of these people groups. We take a passage out of context, we get ourselves in a real mess. This is why we end up with God in the Old Testament is wrathful and God in the New Testament is loving because we've not read all the other passages around God. God is merciful um, and just and compassionate and caring. Yet he has to hold justice. He has to. And then in the New Testament, God is the same God. He still has to hold justice, but he's taking it upon himself. So where do we land this? What do we do with this? I would say this god loves you beginning middle and end he loves you in the beginning middle and end of time he loves you at the beginning and the middle and the end of your life but there's a problem and it's a human behavior problem the problem is us we need a reality check this really is a problem sin is a issue it's a problem and we, me, you, we are despicable, wrapped up in sin, doing things out of our own pride and our own ego. We are a mess and it is because of that mess that God has to do something. So our behaviour angers God because it has to, because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. So the anger has to be there. But God's grace is sufficient if you allow him. God is graceful in the Old Testament. He is graceful in the New. We see it more purposefully on the cross of Christ. But we see it through the whole of Scripture, slow to anchor. So the question for us is, as we respond to this, is can we respond to God of Scripture, recognising that we are sinners saved by grace, And that God's anger goes through all of Scripture, but we find it complete in Jesus Christ. We find his grace complete. I'm just going to pray for us as we finish, because we we need to respond to this, realising that we are sinners, but God is graceful. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we realise that we are broken, we are a mess, and throughout the whole of human history... We do our own thing, filled full of pride and ego. We don't worship the right thing, so we worship the wrong thing. And we are a stinking pile of mess. And that is what makes you angry. Not us, but the mess. We thank you that you are merciful, loving, compassionate and caring. If we go back 4,000 years, 3,000 years, 2,000 years, you are merciful. You don't change so we come before you we ask for your mercy we ask for your grace Lord show us where we are failing that we may be able to respond to your grace receive your love we thank you for your compassion and we accept your forgiveness if you would just give it and we know that you do in the name of Jesus Christ I hope you found that somewhat challenging and helpful. I know you're going to have some bigger conversations to have around this after this, but that's a snapshot, an introduction into the God of the Old and the God of the New. So, grace and peace.